Let's just bow our heads for a moment. Again, Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to your word. We pray, grant us great grace to understand and to apply your word to our hearts and lives for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who were here on the first Sunday of the new year um, will remember we looked at an introduction to Samuel. I took for a text the last verse of the book of Judges, which is familiar uh, to most of you, where we're told, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I said at that time, and then we come now from the book of Judges into the book of Samuel. Some might say, well, yes, but don't forget about little Ruth. How can I forget about little Ruth? Um, But little Ruth is set in the context of Judges, as you'll read in the first verse of Ruth in the time of the Judges and so on. So it's an appendix to Judges. So we're going from Judges into Samuel. And uh, we thought about a heading that we might have, which is mentioned by several commentators, uh, the need for a leader, the need for a king. And it's all about uh, that build-up to uh, first Samuel, uh, there's Samuel, and then there's uh, uh, Saul, and then David. He will be the great king. And he actually won't become king until 2 Samuel. But that's the build-up. That's what it's all about, leading to that. And, of course, we think ahead of that to great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thought about the need of leadership and who is in charge? And that was the you know, subtitle, who's in charge? Who's in charge of us here in Gordon Road? Who's in charge of you and me in particular, personally? Are we in charge or is the Lord Jesus Christ in charge? And of course, um, we realize that the whole of the Bible is emphasizing the lordship of the Savior. So we're going to have a start, a series, God willing, on 1 Samuel. Um, you know it, most of you know it well, there's some big stories there, uh, Samuel and, and the ark, and then Saul, and eventually David, and David and Goliath, we all love that story, and these big stories there, but there are also some little stories, some small stories, and things that look insignificant on the face of it, but actually uh, are important, and I quoted from uh, one commentator, I acknowledge that there were two particular men to whom I'm indebted. Uh, one is John Stonebridge. Um, he's uh, Woodbridge. He's an Australian. But the other one particularly is a man called Dale Ralph Davis. He's an American, and he's a professor of Old Testament um, uh, theology in, in, in America, and he's also a pastor. And he's a very good uh, preacher. I've heard him uh, on YouTube and so on. And uh, he's, he's got some wonderful little insights, and he's a Hebrew scholar and so on. So if you hear me say, say something, you think, well, that really sounds good. That's probably come from Dale, right? Anything that's kind of ordinary, well, that probably come from me. Right? So I, I, I acknowledge that straight off, and so you know where we are. Uh, I'm not really good at Hebrew, but I can read English, all right? So we come into Samuel, and there's so much going on, and I'm thinking, dear me. And this morning... 
as I looked at it overall, I thought, I'm going to end up talking about babies and women. Now, you think, and I think, well, we're not all babies and women. There are some blokes here. Well, we will have a mention, gentlemen, right? Uh, albeit quite small. But we will have a mention as we go through. But there are things here that we need to note. And one of the things I quoted was that in verse 1, there are people and places mentioned, most of whom you and I do not know. Unless you're a real expert, you don't know who these people are. Uh, you've got this place, Ramatham, Ephraim, and, and then you've got this Alcanai, and then you've got his relatives. And let's be honest, we don't know who they are. Elkanah, we'll come to in a moment, uh, he's mentioned only in this verse, first book, the first chapter, and perhaps once in, in the family uh, in, in back in Exodus. But that's it. These people are nobodies. This is the point that this man was making. These people are nobodies. But we will see what God does with nobodies. He'll make nobodies to be somebodies. And I thought, well, praise God, because in a sense, that's the history of the Bible. God takes ordinary things, little things, unimportant things, and he does something with them. And this is a great encouragement to me, and I hope to you. Uh, don't you often feel sometimes, uh, you hear these, these big preachers, or you hear these great things, or you read these things, and I thought, wow, these people are wonderful. Uh, they're preachers, they're missionaries, they do this and that. They're, they're great men, they're great women. I wish I could be like that. But I'm just an ordinary little bloke. I'm just an ordinary little woman. I'm nothing. Well, thank God you're nothing. Because God can do something with nothings. And that's what he does. So often. And I often quote you from Corinthians sometimes. About, see you, see you call him brethren. Not many noble. Not many mighty. Not many wise people. According to the flesh. God calls. He uses ordinary folk. To bring about his sovereign purposes. So it's a great encouragement to us. The other thing we have to watch is what lessons do we learn from this? this is, it's not going to be a historical lecture. All right? I'm not going to say, right, this is what happened back what was it, a thousand years before the Lord was born. Uh, so it's nearly 3,000 years ago. Um, this is what happened then and very interesting. But what does it mean to you and to me in Hailsham in 2023? What are the lessons? What are the principles? And there are things here, I trust, we will see that can apply to us, if not in exact details, the principles can be applied to us, whoever and whatever we are. I don't want to stretch them. Some of us preachers sometimes are guilty of saying, well, that's there, and then we make a quantum leap and say, right, this is the application. I don't want to do that if I can possibly help it. I trust that things will come fairly clearly and simply step by step. Uh, Alistair Begg, whom I've quoted oft times, he has this saying, the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. And I say amen to that. Now, as I looked at this and thinking about a king, I also realized that there's a prophet that's going to be mentioned, Samuel. There's a priest Eli and his sons, and then there'll be a king. Prophet, priest, and king. Now, we know something about that, don't we? That's, that's a precious thing, isn't it, threesome? Because our saviour is the great prophet, the great priest, and the great king. And we'll see aspects of these things, I trust, as we go through the book. Right. Well, let's make a start 
And we're going to start right in basics before we actually come into this and talk about the need for a baby. I mentioned the need for a king. That's the big subject, all right, a leader. But before we get to the king and to the leader, I'm going to talk about babies, all right? You say, what authority have you got to talk about babies? Well, only that we've had three, all right? So uh, some authority. Not that I was actually involved in the birth, but you know what I mean. A need for a baby. How simple is that? You say, Colin, I want to hear big things, deep things. I want to know big, deep theological things. I want to know, I want to know great truths. Well, wait for it. But we'll start with a baby. And the need for a baby. How simple is that? Because, you see, this baby, all right, will be born, and then there'll be another little baby that'll be born, and eventually we'll get uh, to a baby who will be called David. And then further along the line, a thousand years on, they'll come to another baby. It started in Genesis 3.15, way back. And, you know, following the sin of Adam and of Eve and the serpent, and you know all that, uh, and God said, well, you, you, there's the fall and sin came in and, and all that terrible business there back in the garden. But God made a promise. God made a gospel promise. And preachers and others make a big thing of it, and so they should, all right, um, that God made this promise to Eve. Eve had caused sin to come into the world. A husband shared with it, all right, in full agreement, but it was Eve that brought the sin in. She responded. She took of the fruit. And sin came in. And God said to her, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There will come of the seed of a woman, there will come a baby, and then a baby, and then a baby. There will come a baby, and that baby will undo all the ruin that has come through this one. The whole of mankind. And so when Paul talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he speaks about that he was born, the Lord Jesus was born of a woman, made in the law. So Jesus will come, and he'll be born of, as a baby in Bethlehem, of a virgin. Now, you know that story. We mentioned it Christmas time. Why did he have to become a baby? Well, there's a whole backdrop to that. So this baby comes. It's promised. And then as you go through uh, the Old Testament, you will remember that there are so many babies who have importance. Think of Abram. God makes a big promise to Abram that of his seed, the whole world shall be blessed. But of, before the whole world can be blessed through Abram and his seed, there has to be one to begin with. And you know the problems there with Abram and Sarah. Uh, they're getting old and, and, and there are no babies. And God had promised them. And so Sarah seems to connive, and she say, well, uh, didn't, perhaps it was just to you that there'd be a baby, not to me. And I've got this servant girl, literally a slave, uh, and, and she, she can conceive. Uh, you, you sleep with her, she'll have a baby, and that'll be our baby. She was trying to 
overrule God's purposes. And it didn't work. They had a baby. But then all kinds of problems. And you know the story of Ishmael and so on. Eventually, eventually Sarah had a baby according to the promise. And, and so you go, you, show, you go on through um, Eb, uh, uh, Rebecca and Isaac and Jacob and all these, these babies, right? All these babies. It's, 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 a, it's a huge thing. I, I don't want to carry on about babies, but they are significant. And when the book of Ruth, which I said came after Judges, when the book of Ruth ends... As you know, Ruth marries Boaz, and they lived happily ever after. That's wonderful. It's nice. We always like, we like a nice ending, don't we? Here's this ending, this, this poor widow, and she marries, remarries, and, and that's a, and lovely. Oh, wonderful. Now, the book could have stopped there. You could have said, and she married, and they lived happily ever after, full stop. But no, it doesn't. Because the end of Ruth talks about babies. All right, that Ruth, about um, Boaz, right? Boaz had a baby called Obed. Obed had a baby called Jesse. And Jesse had a baby called David. So we're introduced now to David. And now he will come in one Samuel. Okay, so there, this this need for a baby. Let's go back and start now at one Samuel. So you've got this background, we don't know who he is, what he is, but this man, Elkanah, he had two wives. <sighs> what can you say about two wives, ma'am? Some of us say one wife was enough. Uh, I'd go carefully. He had two wives. Why did he have two wives? Should he have had two wives? Interestingly, polygamy, right, the having more than one wife, is not actually condemned in the Bible, but it's not condoned either. There are people in the Bible who had more than one wife. We mentioned Abram, we had one wife and then another woman. Right? Jacob had uh, two wives and then their maids uh, or servants, so he ended up with four women. And it gets very complicated. And we know that David had concubines and Solomon, I think it was a thousand. So but it's not encouraged, but it's fact, and there it is. Now, we had two wives, Hannah and Penia. Hannah and Penny, we call them. Why did he have two wives? Well, the suggestion is he has first has Hannah, she's mentioned first, first wife, and she has no children. She has no children. Now, I can't, obviously can't prove this, but... That would seem to be the case, particularly as the passage dwells on this fact. She had no children. Back in Bible days, it wasn't just a norm of families, man and wife, having a family, but it was all to do with inheritance. Having children was so important to keep the family line going. And it wasn't just have the family language, it was to do with the land. God gave them the land proportioned to the tribes and to the families. And so for the, for the line to continue, it was mainly through the, a male heir who would have a patch of ground and that would continue and continue and continue. A sober fact came to me the other day that as um, 
my daughters, I have got three daughters, as most of you know, the name Lyshan stops with me. I am the last Lyshan in our family. Quite sad, really, isn't it? Um, but that's, that's, that's a bit of fact. Right? I have got a cousin who's a Lyshan in Canada, but uh, I'm not sure, and I think he was, there was a male there, I think my, my father's brother's son. He's a Lyshan. So that might continue over in Canada, but that's a long way away. But he has no heir, all right? and so he has this woman, another married wife, Penya. And she has children. Okay? Well, fair enough. So he's, got, he's now got some children, and he's got, this, and he's got these two wives, and that's fine. Now, this is what the Bible says, right? Verse 2, the name of one was Penya, and and Penny had children, and Hannah had no children. That's all it says there, no children. But later, there'll be another description. It'll describe her as having the Lord shut up her womb. Second, that's twice. The Lord shut up her womb. She is childless. And often the word is used is barren. Now, that always seems to me to be a, like a cruel word, isn't it? it, it it's childless, no children, childless. Uh, barren is, 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 no. But then the Lord shut up her womb as if God, well, not as if God said, right, you will have no children. Now, I go carefully here because I do not know your personal circumstances, all right? So, uh, and thankfully, so nobody can say, oh, you're talking about me. I don't know if I, if I am talking about you, it's, Incidental, coincidental, in a sense, because I don't know you. But childlessness, even today, can be, a, for some, a slur. Some choose to be childless. They choose not to have children. That's their choice. Others desperately want children, but can't for some biological reason. Here we're told, God shut her womb. And you must think, that's not very kind of God. That's not very caring of God. Why would God do that? Well, God does what he does for his own reasons, for his own glory, and for our own good, although it may not seem like that. There's a verse in Deuteronomy, which I mentioned to you, which may have some bearing on this. In Deuteronomy, God says, when my people go into the promised land, I will bless them. And I will bless them in all kinds of ways, and they will be fruitful. Notice the word fruitful. They'll be fruitful in the fields, that is, crops and so on. The cattle will be fruitful, the livestock, they'll have babies, all right? And the women will bear children. There will be none barren. Now, that is the promise of blessing for, you say, well, hang about, that's not, that can't be right, because it's, why does it happen here? Well, another thing God said if you do not obey me, if you do not walk in my ways, if you go after other gods when you go into land, then there will be curses and there won't be the blessings. And one of the things that you will not be blessed in is you will not be fruitful in the field, not be fruitful in the beasts, and not be fruitful in the women. That seems ever so harsh. But God is saying, listen, you've got to, you've got to know where you're at. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings these judgments, if you like. 
So am I saying that Hannah was judged to? No, I'm not. But what I am going to say is this, that this was a definitely a test for her. How does she cope with this? And we will see in a moment what she does and how she copes. And God does send tests to his people. And he knows us. And he sends us these tests, which can be all kinds of things. Nothing to do with babies. Various other tests and trials. And he's testing us. Can we believe in him? Can we have faith in him? Can we say, yes, Lord, I trust you, even though I don't know what you're doing. Now, I've said this so many times, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but it's just a fact because I see it every week, either in my own life or in the lives of others. We are being tried and tested, and it's sometimes so difficult. And yet God says, listen, I am with you in this. I know what it's all about. I will bring you through, but you must trust me. And that's not always so easy. So, here's this woman. She has no children. Okay, so then verse 3, And the man went up of the city, Uri, to worship, and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts. The Lord is capital, it's Yahweh. This Dale Ralph Davis likes to talk about Yahweh, uh, and I, I'm going to copy that because it's a literal translation of the Hebrew. So it goes up, up to worship Yahweh. The two sons of Eli, Ophni and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now, there's another story about them. We'll keep that for another time, all right? We won't go there at the moment. Okay, park that. Right. And when the time was come, Elkanah offered, offered, he gave to Penny, his wife, right, and all her sons and daughters. Now, something I've learned, because I was very clever, son with an, a son with an S is plural, meaning at least two. Are you all happy with that? Okay. Daughter with an S is two, at least, plural. So it's at least two sons and two daughters. There may be more. But she's at least got four children. Plural. Good. Right? That was quite simple, wasn't it? So he has these four. And he gives her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah, he gave a worthy, or it could be translated, double portion. And then we have this little phrase. Uh, uh, this is a nice phrase. This is for us blokes, all right? right? Nice little phrase. For he loved her. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Right? And it's, of course, as it should be. So here she is, this woman, who has not borne him children, and obviously it's not his fault, because he's already got some with this other woman. Right? But it's obviously a problem with her. But he loves her. And so he should. She was his first love. Now, I'm sure he had regard to Penny, all right? Uh, but she was, I go carefully here, she was there to produce children. But his real love is Hannah. You remember with Jacob and all the shenanigans that go in there, you know? Um, Rachel, uh, Rachel is his real love. And the, uh, well, it was the father-in-law's noodling and what's it, uh, and then the, the maids get involved. But Rachel is his true love. He really, really loves her, as we'd say today, with all his heart. So he loves, he loves Hannah. He, she has no children, but he still loves her. The other penny, she's got children, okay. But he loves her. 
and he gives her this double portion. And then we're told, for the Lord had shut up her womb. That's the context of him and Hannah together, husband and wife. Did he realize that? Uh, did he, he understand what's going on? Did he have more of a compassion to her because there was this problem? A trouble with, a trouble with us blokes, excuse me a minute, ladies, a trouble with us blokes is we don't know what's going on half the time, particularly with women, right? We don't understand women. I mean, let's be honest, we are fair to us. I mean, they are complicated, aren't they? They say one thing and they mean another thing. Where, where, what, what can you do? You know, uh, I used to say to Bev, what do you want me to do? Well, this, well why don't you just tell me? I, I can't read your mind. As brilliant as I am, I can't read your mind. I don't know what you're thinking. Tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he's a bloke and he does what he does, all right? But he loves her. And he gives her this uh, as much as he can, physically, temporarily speaking. Now, verse 6. Oh, I thought long and hard about this. Her adversary, we're talking about Penny now, right? Dear Penny, also provoked her soul and to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. There's no sisterhood here. Right? This woman is not a pleasant lady. She's got a husband. She's got f- at least four children. And she's very happy with her state. Thank you very much. She provides for her. And she provides children for him. And you might have thought she would be a bit more compassionate, understanding for dear Hannah. She might have said, I'm so sorry that you're not pregnant. I'm so sorry that you, you, you're not a mother. I'm so sorry that you, you, you're barren or fruitless, fruit or whatever. I'm so sorry for you. Uh, can I do anything to help? Can, can I be, can, can I assist? Can, like, all these kind of things that women often do for one another. But there's no sisterly love here. In fact, it's the reverse. It's the converse. And It's horrible. It's horrible. She provokes her. She provokes her, we're told, to soul. Uh, she, she's a nasty bit of goods. I thought of a word to describe her. I talked to my daughters last night, and they said, you can't use that word in chapel. All right? I said, well, back in the day, I recalled her this, and that's what she was. But you can't say that in nice pleasant company like in Gordon Road. So I'm not going to say the word, but I will give you the dictionary definition as per the Oxford Concise Dictionary. The Oxford Concise Dictionary says female dog and a woman was vile and malicious. Right? I'll leave it to the rest of you. But that's what she is. She's a nasty bit of goods. And you do not need, need to have much imagination to, to think of the things she was saying. She would see Hannah day by day. Hi, Han. How are you? Yeah. You pregnant? Oh, oh, sorry about that. Well, you can see I am again. Oh, you know what that man is always is like. I'm pregnant again. This is the seventh time, eighth time. I'm pregnant again. Well, fancy that. Are you? Oh, no, because you're not pregnant. Of course, you're going out. Oh, sad, isn't it? 
You can see her. You can hear her. She's a bad girl. I lived in London, as you know, and we lived on the main road. I've told some of you this previously, but let me, in this context. So we lived on the main road, and a lot of traffic there, the main road, and the lights, and, and people stopped and stopped, and they'd come down. There was another road, which is parallel to our road, where the, the back run, or the rat run, or whatever you call it, back doubles. Another road, which is parallel, which didn't have lights. So people would come, they'd go that way, down the back road, and come back onto the main road further down. On this road was a school. All right? So the worst time of day was the, what they called the school run. And it was, it was, well, it was two lanes, and so on, but it was narrow rather than the main road, and traffic was horrendous. And you'd have these ladies, and I can use the word loosely, have these ladies driving what we call in London Chelsea tractors. Now, if you don't know what that expression means, right, it's not a tractor. I know you're a country folk here. It's not a tractor. It's a big BMW, Range Rover, Mercedes. It's a big car, normally with a little lady driving it. All right? Never been near the countryside, wouldn't know what a car was if they saw it in the face. Now, so it's a, it's a Chelsea tractor, all right? And these little ladies are driving these little cars, and they come along this narrow road with their darling angels, and they meet head on. And so somebody's got to back down, haven't they? You can't, can't, can't get past. So, will they back down? No, they won't. They put the window down, because it's all electric, press the button, electric, and they, do they have a polite conversation? No, they don't. I would hesitate to tell you the things they call one another, right? Hello, dear sister, would you mind moving back a little bit? That's fine, darling, I'll do that for you. Would they? Oh, talk about cats and scratching eyes and things. Dreadful, the language. Now, she was like that. You say, Colin, I think we got the message. Well, good. You need to. Because this would cause double the grief. Here's Hannah. She's in the temple, and she's weeping. She's weeping. She's weeping because she hasn't got any children. She's weeping because she hasn't satisfied her husband's desire for children. She's weeping. And then you've got this person who is making it so much harder for her, not pregnant. Ha, 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 And she's weeping. Her soul, her heart is weeping. Now, fair play to poor old Elkanah. He's trying his best to love him. Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Am I not, why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Elk, Get it straight. You're not. I know you love me. I know you're looking after me. But you're not. I'd rather have ten sons than you any day. Poor dub. But she's weeping. And she's crying. And then she prays. Thank God for verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. There are two things that grief, whatever it is, in this context we're talking about not having children, it could be a death, it could be loss, it could be illness, it could be all kinds of things. There's two things that can happen to us. We can drive us away from God or can drive us to God. And I wouldn't want to be judgmental 
to someone who says, you know, I find it so hard to believe. This has happened to me, and it's so difficult and so tough. You know, I'm finding it really hard to, to have a faith, to keep a faith. I, I wouldn't want to be judgmental of that person. I would say, well, that's not the answer, to be honest. Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. Everything may seem to be against you, even God, but don't be bitter. God is not against you. He is for you. And somehow, some way, he will work this through. But the best answer is, she sought the Lord. She prayed. Through her grief, through her tears, she prayed. And she prayed. And she prayed. And in the context, she makes a vow. Now, the Bible is very careful about vows. Be careful if you vow something. Lord, if you do this, I vow I will do that. Well, be careful. The Bible says best not to make a vow than to make a vow not keep it. And you know some of you the story of uh, Jephthah, uh, who makes a vow and uh, involves his daughter in the end. You know that story in Judges. She makes a vow, and what she says simply is, Lord, if you give me a son, a male son, right, then I will give him back to you, and uh, all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come on his head. Uh, probably that's to do with being a Nazarite, somebody set apart for God, such as Samson and others. And uh, she's praying there. Now, it talks about the temple. It's not actually the temple, because the temple wasn't built later on, in the days of Solomon, you know that it was the tabernacle, right, a place of meeting, uh, just to, to clarify that. So here is Eli, he's sitting there uh, by the post and he's watching what's going on, and here's this woman, and she seems to be drunk. He, she, she, there's a, the mouth is moving, but there's no sound coming out. Very strange woman. Anyway, so the mouth is moving, but there's no sound coming out. And she's obviously in some state of distress. And so he thinks she's drunk. And he tells her off. How dare you be drunk in the sanctuary, in the house of God? How dare you? And he gives her a lecture. And, and then she says, oh, hold on, hold on a minute. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, uh, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Be careful you don't judge according to appearance. We may not get it right. You may not get it right. And he didn't get it right. Count not thine handmaid to be a daughter of Belial, a worthless person, in other words. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. I've been praying earnestly. In my heart, words haven't come out, but my heart has been praying, and I've been pleading, I've been crying to the Lord. And Eli realizes and says, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant thy petition that thou hast asked of him. She says, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went away and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Eli did one good thing. He said, listen, dear, God has heard your cry. You need to know that. And some of you here this morning, 
in difficult circumstances, and you pray to the Lord and you cry to the Lord, perhaps with tears, you need to hear and you need to know God has heard you. God has seen your tears. God knows the ache of your heart. God knows you. And he will answer according to his own will and purposes. We have to be careful, don't we? In the realm of childlessness, how many godly women, men, godly women have cried and the Lord has not given them what they wanted? The Lord knows best. That's all you can say. The Lord knows best. And you praise him for that. She is encouraged by the word from Eli. And she goes home. And next time, we find out what happens. Oh, Colin. Some of you looked like that. Some of you didn't think it's about time we stopped. God will have his way. Oh, I'm so glad about that. God will have his way. There is a sequel. When I was a little lad, should I confess this to you? I'll risk it. When I was a little lad, we used to go to the pictures in our little village, black and white, of course. And they used to have a kind of a serial type film on. And obviously it was cowboys and Indians. Because you can't use Indians anymore, they're Native Americans. But it doesn't sound the same, does it? Cowboys and Native Americans. Cowboys and Indians. I loved cowboys and Indians. And it comes to the exciting part. And then it would stop. Oh! To be continued. Oh! I want more! Well, you'll have to wait. Thank God there is a little to be continued. There's always with God a little bit to be continued. There's more to come. And whatever you are going through, whatever difficulty you're on, there's more to come. You, what are you saying? More sorrow? I hope not. It may be. More difficult. I hope that it may be. But I am saying God will finish the work. God will finish the work. Another thing about us blokes, sometimes we start jobs and never finish them. I'm sure you're not like that. Right? right? We, but I am. Bev will say, what are you doing? I'm doing this. What about that one? Well, I'll do that another time. Well, you haven't finished that one. All that one. All that one. All that one. But I got to do this one. So do what? God finishes the work. He will finish what He has intended for you. He will do that. Be confident of that. I don't know when or how. Tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But God will do it because He is in charge. Hallelujah. He's sovereign. And He will do it. That's why you can trust Him. That's why you can trust his son, the Lord Jesus, who has promised to save all who come to him and call upon him for mercy and ask him to be their savior. He, he can and he will hear and answer them and bring them to heaven because he can. He will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great story of Samuel Although we just started it, think of this family. What a strange little family they were. A man with two wives, a wife with four plus children, and one who had none. Because 
the Lord had shut up her womb. And yet graciously you heard her cry and you blessed her. And we know what will happen. Thank God. Lord, you know us each one this morning as we sat in this little pew. We come from wherever we come and we go to wherever we go when we leave this building. And you know us. You know us deeply, thoroughly, truly, honestly. Oh, forgive us if we try and hide. Forgive us if we are ever tempted to be bitter because of our circumstances. But Lord, teach us to trust. Teach us to come in humble faith and say, Oh, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. And I will trust you. Give me grace. Give me faith. Help me. Please, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen, amen. I've chosen the final hymn because it's in the patience, submission, and trust section of our hymn book. Um, we're singing it, I trust to Philandia. Is that right, Patricia? We've seen it, Philandia. Thank you. All right. Um, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Seven four six.
pray, teach us these lessons we so desperately need to learn, lessons as we learn them. And now with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and obey, abide with God's people here and everywhere, till we meet again and then forever.